Alison Pitzard is a consultant in anaesthesia and intensive care medicine in Leeds. She is currently the Dean of the Faculty of Intensive Care Medicine and was instrumental in developing the single CCT curriculum, recruitment process and fellowship exam for intensive care training in the UK. Alison is a talented communicator and as a trainee I remember her taking time to teach me some useful techniques for communicating with families that I still use today. In this podcast, Alison talks to us about how to remain resilient when a skill you value is questioned and your place of safety is taken away. It's a very personal and emotive story, and I am so appreciative to Alison for her openness and reflective approach to this podcast. I mean, there's lots of things that have happened and do happen in everyone's careers that are challenging. And I think that I have come through them well. But interestingly enough, there was a situation earlier on in this year which really took me by surprise. And what ultimately happened, I was very surprised and disappointed and made me start to see my working environment and the team that I worked with in a very different way. And so I I became a bit despondent, maybe. And it involved a family. And as I've already said, I felt and still feel that I can communicate well with patients, with families. But there was this particular scenario where there was a young girl on the intensive care unit who was very sick. I came in to her care probably two weeks into her ICU stay. Her parents were there. And on the ward round one morning, something was said that then got passed on to the family after the ward round. And they were very unhappy with what was said. And actually, there had been miscommunication from the nurse at the bedside, passing information on to the family. And apparently what I had said was in stark contrast to what one of my consultant colleagues had said previously. So that that was fine. One of the nurses, I think it was the nurse in charge, then came up to me and said, the family are very unhappy. The dad is kicking off. I thought, okay, that's fine. I'll I'll go and speak to them. So I went back onto the, the unit and the nurse at the bedside came out and said, don't go in there. They don't want to speak to you. They've refused to speak to you. And I said, really? And they said, yes. And one of the senior trainee was in the room at the time. So I went and sat at the desk, utilised my time looking at you know, patients' results and whatever. And I was there for the trainee if he needed me. And then he came out. And, and I, this is quite soporific for me, being able to... Yeah. I, mean, I wrote it all down at, at the time to reflect, but actually saying it is, is, uh, is quite interesting. Yeah. I might burst into tears, so yeah. <laughs> I've got some tissues in my bag. Um, and the trainee came out and I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, that's fine. He's a very competent trainee. And that was all fine. So I think that was on the Wednesday. And then I was on call again on the Saturday and I thought, right, I'm going to go in and speak to the family and let's just clear the air. And I walked onto the unit, planned to speak to the family. When they arrived, again, the nurse at the bedside that day said, they don't want to speak to you, they've refused to speak to you. And that's when it really hit me that there was a serious breakdown in communication. What was sort of going through your mind at that time when you sort of 
and faced with, you know, it was an incredibly difficult situation. Well, it got worse that day because the nurse who'd been on in charge on the Wednesday was a nurse at another bedside on that Saturday. And she called me into the room to say, you need to be aware that the dad has been researching you on the internet and looking at your Twitter account. And at that point, I got scared because I thought, I've got somebody stalking me. Some of the things that he said about what I'd been doing that day, I, I was sitting at the desk, playing on my phone, being on Twitter, were factually incorrect. And that's the time when I, I thought, this could turn really nasty. And it was so bad that I started to feel really anxious in the workplace. I felt that everything that I was doing was being watched and scrutinised. And I couldn't stay on the unit. And so I obviously made sure everything was okay and went and sat in my office. But normally I would always be around on the unit, sit at the desk doing stuff on the computer so that I was visibly present. So that the nurses and anyone could just come up and ask me rather than, it's much easier to go and speak to somebody than, you know, make a phone call. Um, and that was fine. But then the following week, I had a, an email from my clinical director to say that there'd been some formal complaints made against me. And although they were anonymous, I obviously read the complaints and it was obvious who had made those complaints. It was two members of nursing staff. And they were criticising me for refusing to speak to the family and sitting at the desk and, and making the trainee have those difficult discussions with the family. So not only had I not been allowed or had the opportunity to explain exactly what had happened to the family, but I was criticised for doing what I felt was the only thing to do because I, there was no way I'd have gone in and spoken to a family who didn't want to speak to me because I thought that would make that worse and I hadn't made the trainee go in to speak to them but I sat there to offer support and made sure when he came out that that he was okay so I, I felt that I'd been backed into a wall normally I felt as a team we all worked together never once crossed my mind that a member of nursing staff wouldn't come and speak to me if it was an issue, but to, to you know, go and make a formal complaint. And that really upset me. And I actually broke down in tears on the unit, which, I mean, I've done before, you know, with, you know, with difficult situations when patients have been dying. But, but this, was, this was very different because all of a sudden I felt that I was being personally attacked for something that was completely out of my control. And I just didn't know what to do. And I, I guess we always see intensive care units as our area of safety, don't we? Absolutely. We, it's an environment we're comfortable with. Uh, we know how it works. We feel that we work with the people we work with uh, and we get on with them and they yeah. support us. And suddenly that's all thrown on its head. Um, what sort of impact did that have on you? Well, at the time, I didn't want to be in the ICU environment. I still do some anaesthesia on a Friday, and to me, that was my safe haven. So I'd be in the, in the operating room and I could just forget about intensive care. But when I was driving into work to go to the unit, 
I started to feel anxious. And it then got to the point that even when I was driving into work, not to do ICU, to do something else, I was getting anxious because of that. And then I ended up being in tears, driving into work. And some of the nursing staff on the unit knew exactly what had been going on. And they were very supportive and couldn't understand why some of their colleagues had done what they'd done. But at the end of the day, they'd done it and that was it. So I did have support from the majority of, of the nursing staff. Do you, think that, that, do you think that helped? It did because it made me realise that I should, because I had started to think this isn't the working environment I chose to work in and am I burning out? You know, do I need to get out? And I didn't want to do that because I enjoy what I do and what else was I going to do? But knowing that actually the majority of the team were still the same and I shouldn't let one or two individuals muddy those waters. So that helped me put it into perspective. But the way we work now, I mean, I always used to do two days a week, every week, and it was great. I always felt involved. There was always people in our shared office and you could always talk to each other. Whereas now, because we do blocks of days, that when you're not doing your block of days, you're off doing something else. So you're not in the office talking to people. So it was very lonely. I had no one at work sort of consultant-wise, that I could share my concerns with. And of course, my colleagues were experiencing the same family in the same situations, some of them dealing with it in different ways. And I couldn't share that. It was only when there was a meeting with, I don't know whether the family were involved, but the clinical director and various other people, and I'd written out a reflection and given it to one of my colleagues as she knew what had been going on. And she was astounded because she had no idea, A, what exactly had happened and B, the impact it had had on me. And of course, if we'd have been in the office together, I'd have shared that. And, you know, problem shared is a problem halved. And maybe I wouldn't have got to the point where I was a gibbering wreck going into work and thought I might have to, you know, get out of this for a while. Yeah, it's a very scary time. It it was. it, it was, It was scary from a professional level and scary on a, on a personal level as well, because I always thought, I've never thought that I'm resilient, but I've always thought I actually can thrive in difficult situations because I feel I can, I can see the wood for the trees and this just blindsided me. Yeah. And I think I wasn't prepared for it. Maybe I was naive, I don't know, but I've been a consultant for over 20 years and never faced this sort of situation before. And I'm sure I'll face it again. And whether I'd do anything differently, I don't know, but I think I would respond differently. Did you use any of your strategies that you'd learned before about managing difficult situations or challenging did, did any of those work in this no. situation? No. No. <laughs> no, no, because the thing is, I, I always feel that if there's a problem, often it's down to miscommunication or it's down to just having two views and neither are right or wrong. So from a professional point of view, I don't think anything that I had learned in the past was going to make any difference because I couldn't get in to speak to the family. So, And in terms of personally, 
I was never aware that I had developed any strategies in order to like coping mechanisms or, or whatever. I've never been aware of developing those. And I, I just feel that they just evolve over time and you become this person who can or can't deal with certain situations and learns how, how to move forward. And I think because it came as such a shock and that and it floored me that I suddenly I I know I felt backed into a corner and just didn't know what to do. Do you think it's changed you? The aftermath of the situation and how I dealt with it and certain things that I've read have definitely changed me. And I think at the time I was very close to having to ask for help because I thought perhaps my mental health was going to suffer because feeling so anxious going into work I didn't think was good for anybody because I didn't feel that I was focused on the job and therefore wouldn't do my best for my patients and you know I have a supportive family my husband was great he understands the working environment so I could talk to him and I've got good friends and I spoke to them as well so I did have support mechanisms outside but that still didn't help me get to work. And I think what really helped was I had a holiday coming up. So I think this all happened May, June time, and then I had a holiday in July. It was just fortuitous. And it wasn't until I got away that I realised how badly I needed that holiday. And on the first day, I took a photograph, did a selfie and sent it to my sisters, or may have put it on Facebook. And my sister sort of messaged me and said, Ali, are you okay? You look really tired. And that's the sort of thing that only your family can say to exactly. you. Yeah. And I then looked at it and thought, yeah, I've got really dark shadows under my eyes. And, and I think I had actually relaxed at that point, even within a few hours of arriving. And that holiday was very cathartic because for the two weeks I was there, I did nothing but lie down with my feet up, read a book. And it was just what I needed. And then I reflected on what had happened. I had the time to do it with nothing external to, to get in the way. And it worried me, if I hadn't have had that holiday, what would I have done? So what it has made me think about is that maybe not having one big holiday or two main holidays or whatever is to have various times through the year where I can have some time out. And I may not go away, but just where I could get something to look forward to. So if it is stressful at work, I've got that thing to go to. And the other thing, ironically, is I was reading a magazine, which I don't get to read magazines when I'm at home. And I read a magazine and there was a quote in it. And it said something about you have to embrace imperfection because you can't be perfect. And once you start to learn to live with your imperfections, then you can probably lead a much better life. And that really struck a chord with me because I actually think through the whole of my life, I was the eldest of three girls and I always had to be the role model. I had to be perfect. And so I've always felt that I've got to do everything perfectly. And that's, that's not real life. So, Yes, things didn't work out with that family for whatever reason. But the patient didn't come to harm. 
the family may have had a negative experience, but looking at the team, the team supported the family through it. So ultimately, I think the only person that suffered was me. And I can live with that because I've reflected and I've, I've come back a better person, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting, Alison, because right at the start, we're talking about how bad experience or difficult experience can actually be a great learning experience as well and actually be more beneficial to you than you actually think. And it sounds like you've gone through that whole kind of cycle, haven't you? And it's great to hear you've come through the other side. And, and how does it feel now on the other side? It's great. I actually feel that I've had a new lease of life. And that's why I had the new haircut. <laughs> because <laughs> when I was on holiday, I'd already made my appointment to have my haircut when I got back. And having reflected, having relaxed, and when I read that quote, and it, the, the quote was in the context, and it just happened to be something, I can't remember what the focus of, of it was, but it was it was just very relevant to me. And I thought, do you know what? I feel like I'm a new person now, a better person. I need a new image. And so I phoned up my hairdresser and said, have you got time to do a complete restyle? <laughs> Which, you know, so, sounds a bit, a bit silly. But, but to me, that was the externalising how I now felt about me inside. I felt empowered, I felt stronger, and I felt, yes, I'm sure I'll be faced with similar situations in the future. And yes, there might be the same outcome, but I'll manage it better because I can't get it right every time. And it's not necessarily because of anything I've done wrong, it's just a bad situation. Mm -hmm.